0: In 1977, I went to ICM to run their college department in New York City, and uh, Shelly Schultz, who hired me, put me on uh, as a day-to-day agent along with him to to, uh, handle Gordon Lightfoot. So every year, we used to go up to Toronto and go over the tours, et cetera, with Gordon, and then uh, many years later, he got uh, a Juno Award, which is kind of like our Grammy, is our Grammy. And he,
1: in Canada. In
0: Canada, correct. And he we sat in the front row and it was amazing. And and all of a sudden there was a surprise guest recording the award and it was Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. We had about I don't know, forty or fifty big, huge, thick Sony televisions up there. And Bob came out and he was a little little high and he actually had his back to the audience for like two or three minutes. Just images
1: of himself on the screen it was quite quite funny. pleases uh, me to be here and give this award to Gordon. I've known Gordon for a
0: long time and uh, I know he's been offered this award before but he has never accepted it because uh, he wanted me to come and give it to him. So uh, Anyway, he's somebody of uh, rare talent and all that and here's a video clip now of his Uh, Recent and not so recent. And uh, then afterwards, he gave me the award. And then Gordon said, "You want to come back to our house?" So we went back to the house. It was myself, Shelley Schultz, Bob Dylan, and Gordon Lightfoot. Bob had two women with him who were playing pool. And so we just hung around and sang. And I mean, there I am with you know Bob Dylan and Gordon Lightfoot, smoking pot. We never went back to our hotel room. We just stayed up till seven in the morning. And at the end. As you know, I'm a great scrapbook collector. I I tried to take the uh, the joints, as we call them, uh, but U.S. customs didn't approve, so I didn't bring them. Hmm. Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize this about the Beatles that they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do
1: we film on a volcano? It's just about to explode. But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It Either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And
0: for me, there was really this in- instance of wanting to run towards it.
1: Welcome to Great Minds. Our guest today is a longtime friend, uh, the great Eddie Mycone, safely ensconced in your compound down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, And Eddie, thanks so much for being here today. It's an honor to be here. So you've had an incredible career, and we're going to walk through uh, an awful lot of it. But let's go back. How did you get your start? Because your dad, who I was lucky enough to know, um, was not in the entertainment business. Where did that bug come from? In
0: 1964, when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'd like to carry on now with
1: a song from our new album in England, and it'll be out in America shortly. And it's a song with, featuring just Paul, and it's called Yesterday.
0: Started a band ninety dollars bought half a drum set started a band called the nobleman we were in eighth grade uh, we played the ninth grade dance first deal I ever negotiated was we got five dollars an hour now think about that there were three of us we made forty five dollars we had one amp two guitars half of a drum set and one mic and we made fifteen dollars and we were in eighth grade not bad and then we played and then we played all through high school and uh it was fun.
1: And when, tell us about that very first time. Uh, I was born in 1964, so I've seen clips, but I didn't see that Beatles' appearance. That was such a seminal moment in popular culture and our history not just here in America, but but globally. What was that like, seeing that on TV for the first time?
0: Yesterday and today, our theater's been jammed with newspapermen and hundreds of photographers from all over the nation, and these veterans agree with me that the city never has witnessed the excitement stirred by these youngsters from Liverpool who call themselves the Beatles. Now tonight, you're going to twice be entertained by them. Right now... Well, every Sunday... I mean, we didn't have a big house. We had, like, a, a split level. And our den, literally, there was... Four of us could almost sit on the couch. Then we had this big RCA Victor TV with a forty five on top, forty five player, and uh then toys to the left. And the toys went away when I got a drum set. But the room couldn't have been more than ten by ten. I mean, it was tiny, but to us it was big. And we sat there, I remember sitting on the on the floor and watching and just I, I can't begin to tell you. They were I mean, I saw everybody on the on the on the television show. I saw Melanie, I saw the stones, I saw The Beach Boys, I saw the Kinks, I saw the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Time Time is on my side. side. Yes, it is. But the the one, the the first person ever used an orchestra was John Sebastian, who's a friend of mine, still is. And uh, when they did "Loving Spoon" because the "Darling, Be Home Soon," the orchestra rose. It was like the first production showbiz rock and roll number I've ever seen where the orchestra rose. It was absolutely magnificent. And they did Darling Beam Soon. You should check it out on Ed Sullivan. It's great. And of course, my friend Dave Clark who played more than anybody on Ed Sullivan. Uh, it just it was just great. I mean, I, I watched, still watch clips. It's
1: great. So you mentioned Shelley Schultz, and, and you were lucky enough as a young man to work with some extraordinary people, not just talent but business talent. Uh, tell us about Shelley and some of those other great minds who helped shape you early on in your career.
0: Well, there was when Shelley Schultz hired me. I'll never forget. Uh, we were at a place called the French Shack, and I was running a, a company called College Entertainment Associates. And I was we were the largest buyer of talent for colleges in the country. I was the third owner, and I was a young kid. I was only twenty five years old, and we were having lunch and. Those days, yeah, you, know, you drank, you smoked, and you had dessert and coffee. And Shelley Schultz said, you know, you should come over and run our college department. And he said, how how much would it take? So I I knew what I was making, so I doubled my salary, and I said to him the number. And he had a cigarette in his mouth, and he had holding his coffee, and he spit out the cigarette, and the coffee spilled over the table. And I thought, oh my god, I should have just, you know, it shouldn't have been a pig. I should have said like a thousand dollars more. And he said. Is that all? And I thought, oh, I should have said more. But it all worked out, and it was great. And uh, so he, he he got me started over at ICM. And then there were some you know, Ralph Mann, Marvin Josephson, Tom Ross. I mean, there, there are people that I hired to come along to ICM, guys like Rob Light, who runs CEA now, and Jeff Kramer, who manages Paul Simon, and Bob Dylan, and Mike Paranian, who went to CEA. May he rest in peace. He, he died many years ago. Bobby Brooks. Died in a helicopter crash. Uh, at the same time as, golly, um, uh, 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 the
1: guitars. Uh, Stevie Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray
0: Vaughan, correct. That was in August. Um, so all I knew all these kids as college kids, and um, and now they're all doing great. So it's uh, it's it, it's nice, nice to see everybody standing good.
1: And talk about those early days at ICM. I know you had a great great run there.
0: Yeah, ICM was great. I mean, you know, work with uh, Jefferson Starship, The Kinks, uh, actually some Kenny Rogers stuff, Dottie West, Gordon Lightfoot. But my main thing later, I became like this comedy guy. And I had Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Dennis Miller, Kevin Nealon, Dennis Wolfberg. May he rest in peace. John Pinnett, again, one of the funniest guys of all time. Uh, he has a, uh, a Netflix documentary coming out, which I was interviewed in, which I'm really excited about seeing, because I signed a piece. Of, I signed a piece of paper that basically said, you know, they can do whatever they want. So hopefully, I'll come out looking good. I know he was a great guy, uh, and uh, who else? Dennis Miller. I mean, we just uh, then I had like Patty LePone, Maureen McGovern, Susan Summers. Uh, just you know, I booked because I booked Atlantic City later in my life as well. So I mean, I got I got to do everything, and um, it was it was just a great run, great run of ITM.
1: So when you look back to that early part of your career, and those are some incredible names that you worked with, is there something that comes to mind when you lay awake at night and you reflect, you say, "Boy, that was really something?"
0: Well, the ICM days were just incredible because we all worked hard and we party hard, probably too hard. <laughs> but you know, we used to go to shows at uh, Rondell's or Purdue shows at Central Park. I mean, that was just you know at least three times a week. We go to the bottom line, which doesn't exist anymore. You know, we'd go to all these clubs, we'd all go together, and we'd see that we'd see people from other agencies and we'd all be friends and we'd all hang out. We'd all go after the same band, but but then at the end, only one agency would get it, but we still remain friends. Um, I just remember like when I was a younger kid, at CEA, and I used to book, you know, Bruce Springsteen dates, jay Giles dates, Bonnie Reagan dates, Bruce Springsteen dates, Alice Cooper dates. What's funny? This morning I went. I googled CW Post the Dome because that's the that was the facility I used. And I can't. I looked up all these bands, and I, it's all there. It's like you know, New Writers of the Purple Sage. Uh, uh, we did Joe Cocker. I mean, I we, the band. Too. I did the band when I was in college in 1992. The week there on the front page of the I think it was Time magazine, and they were the first artists to get 25,000 a night, and I paid them 50 grand for two shows. And uh wow. remember the steak place Moneros? Yeah,
1: sure.
0: All right. So I was so sort of Yeah, it, that's
1: that's very near where I live. I live in Port Washington. It's well, very this, right down the street. Yeah,
0: well this was in near roslyn So that was in yeah Massachusetts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So the dean of students, I mean I this guy i mean, used to smoke pop with him. But I mean I took his credit card, I called Moneros, I ordered for the band steaks, potato. I mean, we had the whole thing catered <laughs> Monero. Wow. And it was just those are the day you know, it was like you didn't count tickets, you just you know, it's
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that place is still there. Now it's called Bryant & Cooper, but it's <laughs> the same building. And they have a butcher shop, just like Monero's used to have. And then you made a leap from ICM and where you and I met, and you'll correct me if there was something in between, but you ended up at Radio City Music Hall.
0: I did. In uh, 1989, Scott Sanders called me and offered me a job. And I was at ICM, and I was there for 13 years. But the management had changed. Shelley had left. I wasn't happy. Uh, had a fire a friend of mine named Mark Felix who ended up doing great he's back on a seat he was fun wonderful and I just uh, I took actually less money but a better opportunity and of course that turned into you know another fourteen years of the garden and radio city and uh, those are incredible times that's why I got to meet you and work on Super Bowls and TV shows and and uh, still in my office right now I'm looking at the two chairs I used to sit in and I came with you guys to come down so you can the office is kind of full with a lot of fun posters.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, it's quite a museum you've got there. <laughs> so, so, so I have very vivid memories in that period, you know, 89, 90, 91, 92. Um, I was running the sports commission for New York at the time and your, you and your senior management was great. And then when Giuliani, you know, effectively wrecked what we were doing, he turned it into a patronage thing. Um, you became a client of mine and I was part of your team. Uh, at Radio City Productions doing events outside the building. And I remember those meetings, we'd go to your office and you had this great, great office and just to brainstorm ideas for talent. And I absolutely marveled um, at your encyclopedia knowledge of who would be likely to do something, who the manager was. um, And you could see right away that this guy really knows exactly what he's doing. Were you always confident or did that confidence grow over time?
0: Uh, I, don't, I, I don't want to sound cocky. I mean, not that I, I, I think I've always kind of uh, been confident, but I'm, I was never afraid to ask a question. Uh, and uh, Scott Sanders gave me a great opportunity and I worked with some really wonderful people there. Um, I think, you know, if you know what you're, if you know you're right, it's easier just say what's on your mind. If you're if you're not sure, you're better to listen. One thing I've learned as I grow older is I, I listen a lot more than I used to. And uh it's very beneficial. That's all I can say to you young folks. Listen
1: That Radio City run, when you started there, the Super Bowl halftime was not a big deal. I remember you'd have, you know, almost like local community acts like up with people and um, you know, it was not star talent. Talk about the evolution of the Super Bowl halftime, uh, which you were instrumental in, into, you know, what it was to what it became, which was, you know, the biggest stage in the world for the biggest names in entertainment in the world.
0: So, so, uh, so in 93, we did uh, Michael Jackson. 96, we did Diana Ross, and that's the one we did in Phoenix, where she left uh, in a helicopter, which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, 97, we did the Blues Brothers, ZZ Top, and James Brown. That was a lot, actually a lot of fun in New Orleans. In 98, we did the Motown show with Boys to Men, Smokey Robinson. Martha Reeves, The Temps, Queen Latifah, which was really, really, that was a fun one. And then the last one with 99 was Stevie Wonder and Gloria Estefan and and uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddies and Saving Glover. And we had uh, Stevie drive a little car out to the stage, which was great. And of yeah. course, Miami, Gloria Estefan was quite incredible. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was, those were great times. You know, I got everybody, you know, Michael Fuhr and, Everybody worked, all the stage folks from Radio City, we just, we had a great, great run. And uh, now everything is in-house, which makes sense, you know, times have changed.
1: That was an, an incredible run, and you were always very kind to me, and uh, we were able to go on a number of occasions when you were at the controls and go on Thursday night to the dress rehearsals yeah. in the Super Bowl stadium and to see, you know, something like that Diana Ross helicopter trick, you know, in rehearsal. Yeah, was, uh, was really something, very, very memorable. And you also put together some incredible long runs of artists uh, and were part of that team at Radio City, acts like Tina Turner, like Bette Midler. Um, what was that like working for artists like that and doing things? You know, you really broke new ground. Uh, now it's become very popular with the residencies in Vegas, but if you dig down, you know, it was really what you did at Radio City.
0: Well, it's kind of funny because everything is, and the garden's doing it big time, and so it's Radio City as well as the Beacon. So when I first came came board, Scott Sanders uh, said, "You know, we got to do Beth Midler, and Beth was a dear friend of Scott's, and I knew the attorney, and Scott knew the attorney, and uh, we did 30 shows. Then, you know, we went, and we did Ten Yanni's, and then we did, I think, it was 18 Turners, and we basically Scott and I would just get in the airplane, land rent a car, go see a manager, do our dog and pony show. And and we were very good at it because we had, I mean, you're selling Radio City. It's not that hard. Uh, but it was hard because everybody, our good friend Ron Delzer was telling everybody that, you know, the place was old and not not good. And what else, what else was, we did our own shows. We went at risk. And so we didn't need, you know, a Ron or, or anybody else. I mean, he's one of my best friends. I love him to death. But in those days, um, we just decided to do business on our own. Uh, now they co-promote and everything, and you know life is good in Manhattan. Uh, but the my biggest thing that I loved that I did was um, I got a call from David Hart, who manages Ringo Starr now, and he used to work for me in the '70s. And he said, "You got to go see a show in London. It's called Riverdance." So I really trust his judgment. The next day, I got on the uh, on the uh, oh gosh Concord. Thank you. I got on. I got on the Concorde. Just doesn't exist anymore. We got on the Concorde, flew over, saw the show, met with the producers, uh, Morris Cassidy, made our deal, flew home, and then you know we sold out. And that was 25 years ago. In fact, I was going to fly up in March to see the 25th anniversary show, but of course this came along and it it was canceled. But that was then. That just that 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 was incredible. That was like one of the best weeks of my life when we did those And then we did Liza Minnelli and Harry Manilow and Liberace, Scott did Liberace, we did Ann Margaret, Moscow Circus, and was, uh, even Siegfried and Roy. Wow. That was crazy, man.
1: True or not true, did Liza Minnelli once almost burn down your house?
0: True. Yes, she did. And
1: she also asked me to marry her. And I know you're a great drummer and you told us about your early career <laughs> and your five dollar an hour, but you've you've stayed with the drums and and as I recall, weren't you the original drummer that helped Jim Dolan form his little band yes i
0: I uh, we got together we started a corporate band and it was myself um, one of the account head accountant at Radio City or at the Garden uh, Bob Policino and Bob Brandon. And he played piano, There were three of us. And then Jimmy heard we had a band. The next thing you know, we're in S.A.R. Studios. And it would say, you know, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know, the MSG band. So we changed our name to the uh, Simpson House because was, that was the house that Jimmy bought to put our studio in. And uh, we played corporate dates for the garden. We played his wedding. Uh, and then it was all folks who worked at Radio City in the garden. And it was great. We practiced every. I think it was every Thursday night from like four o'clock till two in the morning, whatever it was, and uh, it was great. We had a lot of fun. And then as things changed, you know, then Jimmy got involved, hired other musicians, et cetera. And then just this year, he uh,
1: he stopped. Uh, And you know, such a, a a wide varied career, and you've seen a lot of change in the industry. Today, in the music side and comedy side, Live Nation and AEG are omnipotent forces, not just in America, but, but globally. When you first started the business of promoters, it was a local business. It was a personality-driven business. I know you're still friendly with Ron Delsner. Looking back on how it was and how it is today, for the artists and for the fans, better, worse, indifferent?
0: I think if you're, I think if you're the Rolling Stones, I don't think there's an issue because they come in and buy your tour. I think if you're a young artist, um, you need the, you, you try to play both sides. You play the local promoters, but then what happens is once a band starts to, you know, get a little hot, then the, AEG or Live Nation will come, and you can't blame them. That's just their business model. But in the old days, it was like, you know, Don Law had a certain band in New England, and you know, John Sheer, Cedric Kushner had it for New York State. Then you come down to New Jersey, it was John Shear, New York, Ron Belsner, Howard Stein. Then you're heading the south, Wilson, uh, Wilson Howard, who now still works for Live Nation, Cecil Corbett. He's now gone. Uh, and then you go to Jack Boyle in Florida. But now, you know, all those, most of those folks are Live Nation. You know, my good friend, Jim Blancy, who works for me at Radio City, he now runs New York. Bowery Presents. Um, Alec Hodges, who I used to work with, he runs... Uh, the Needle Land Organization, which is independent out in LA, does a great job. So I think there's room for both because you don't want them to get the gorilla to get too big. Uh, but this this is not helping for sure. Uh, and I feel bad for I just read today that people uh, can't get their money back from StubHub. You know, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's people are hurting and they should get their money back. That's my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, this is uh, if any, listen, I think I can't think of a business that is unaffected yep. right now, uh, but uh, yeah, for the live entertainment business, and certainly from our vantage point, advertising week, our events in Johannesburg, Tokyo, and Sydney have all been pushed. Um, so so going back to happier times and simpler times, yep. um, after you left Radio City, we started advertising week in 04, and you very graciously hosted our very first Sunday night team dinner at Ben Benson's. There are four of us. Yeah, at the Ed Mycone table. It was Lance, Tony Salerno, you and I. And
0: now, and, just to fast forward, now there's like 40 people. 50,
1: Who knows? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But not, yeah, my, but not no. my dime. <laughs> no, no. You don't have to pay anymore. It was wise of you to pay when it was only four people. Uh <laughs> And then we did our very first concert, the Mycone Entertainment Group, led by you, of course. You are our ace independent uh, entertainment, all things entertainment consultant. When, just as we were getting Advertising Week off the ground, and the very first band we booked, and it was Lance's idea in 2005 you did for us, and it was Gnarls Barkley yeah. back in 2005. Okay. Um, and we did a lot of great stuff with you, uh, Jon Stewart and Susie Esman. Uh, the next year at Jazz at Lincoln Center, our first big comedy event. So we would not be here today if we weren't standing on your shoulders, you know, way back
0: then. It was an honor to be involved in the, those four or five years were just uh, quite incredible. And uh, literally, you started with, I remember there were four of us in a room, but again, <laughs> it's a tiny little room. And and, uh, you've done an incredible job building a great, I hate to say, use the word brand, but it is. And it's international and it's still fun. You don't need my help anymore, but I love when you call and ask, So it's
1: kind of fun. Well, we, we always need your help, and we and you're always invited as our guest, and I must say I'd much rather be a guest than paying the check on these Sunday night dinners now. <laughs> so uh, let's jump to the present. You're still, uh, you know, firing in all cylinders. Tell us about what you're doing with Kristen, and you've always got four or five other projects in the hopper, so tell us what's going on today.
0: Kristen, we're, uh, we just the record came out for the girls in September, so we're hoping to that we get a Grammy nod next year because it's just a salute to all her favorite singers and women. It's just phenomenal. Um, Finish up some concerts this year. Hopefully in 2021, she's going to go, hopefully, to London, uh, probably do something in the uh, West End. Uh, Hopefully it'll be on the 20th century. Uh, But with this bump in the road now, it could go later. Uh, She's also obviously does some television shows, movies. In fact, yesterday, she did from her... Closet. She did an animated movie. Her voice in a closet. They actually sent over a technician with the stuff, set up a studio in her closet. She spent six hours and she did her voiceover in the closet. Yeah. So it's, she's she's amazing. And then um, there's a show that's hopefully going to come to Broadway in 20, late 21 or 22. Uh, it's called The Wander about the deandamucci from the Belmonts. My friend Jill Menza, the producer. And uh, I'm just kind of guiding her along and helping her. But uh, I think that's a fun project to be involved with. We open up at the Paper Mill uh, next year. We're supposed to open up this May, but now it's going to be next April of 2021. And it was the hottest selling show they ever had at the moment before we stopped selling tickets. So that was, I mean, it's going to be great. I mean, think Jersey Boys and think Dion, but no disrespect to my old client, Frankie Valley. I think it might be a better story. Uh, the music, obviously, 22 songs. I mean, the music is, And he's, you know, he's alive and well, like Frank, you know, he can be on TV and talk about it. Uh, you know, and Bruce Springsteen and our friend, Steve Van Zandt, you know, they love him. Um, and he is, he is, I think Bruce said it or Steven said it, you know, he's the Frank Sinatra of rock and roll. I mean, he's guys amazing. Um, and then what else? And I have this firework festival that we're working on, uh, for next year in Phoenix, which hopefully will come together again. We got a little pushback from this for this year, but, uh, Hopefully okay, we'll get it together. It's gonna to be the first ever international fireworks festival in the United States. Never been done. So I'm doing that doing that with my friend uh uh Judy Ludovico who you know who used to work in Radio City, and Jim Sosa, who, Jim Sosa, who's the best fireworks man in the world. And he's having a tough time because people are canceling, obviously, fireworks. So so uh, everybody and it's like you said, this is affecting everyone.
1: So you're you know in the in you know been in this at this an awfully long time now. You've been in show business fifty some odd years. Is there something looking to the future that you have in the back of your mind that you say I'd still like to do that you haven't done yet?
0: I I'd like to possibly um, I how to say it. Uh, I my scrapbooks. I'd like to make them accessible online. You know I, I don't know how you do that, but almost like a I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I have such great, like most guys were in the business, you know, if you keep stuff and you, and you save yeah. it, I mean, I went to the Bill Graham thing in New York city. It was, I mean, I don't have that, but I mean, it was incredible the stuff he had, right. uh, right. but my stuff is, it's fun and it's, it's all, you know, it's all good. Or I could, you know, do a fun book, but, uh, I don't know, maybe one day we'll see. You know,
1: okay. Know. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little coffee table book.
0: You never know, you know,
1: uh, Great. You never. And, you never know. And lastly, looking out at the landscape today in entertainment and pop culture, what are some of the great minds who are performing at the top of their game that you look to and that you respect?
0: Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at you know Irving Azoff. You know, I mean, I mean, I used to look. It's a beautiful day back in nineteen seventy-two, and 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 James, the James Gang. I mean, he. I mean, it's crazy and. He's been around forever. Any guys like you know Ron and Don Law, and, and Wilson Howard, all, m- mostly promoters, guys I dealt with. I mean, not to throw a little curve here, but I mean, I used to sell talent to, to Harvey Weinstein, you know. But who, right, but who right. knew? You know, that those are the early, right. those are the early days. I mean, you know, I didn't know. I mean, that was you know he was younger than me. Uh, but uh, you know, Shelley Schultz and Marvin Joseph, Marvin who ran ICM, was great. But there was a guy at the uh, he ran the Rockefeller Group. His name was Dick Voll, and everybody was afraid of him uh, except except me, because <laughs> I dug him. I just I just trusted him. And uh, right. he uh, we would have meetings. We'd do presentations, and the other stage, you, know, you had the, the big screen, and you had the piece of paper, and you showed it on the screen and. There was like 60 people in this conference room at Rock Center, and he said to me, No, Eddie, just, just come up here and talk to me. And all the, you know, the, you know, the names I won't mention, but all the people at, at Radio City got very nervous because they didn't want me talking to Dick Paul. So I get right. got, got up to Dick Paul, and he just, I just believe, make believe that nobody else in the room, and he says, So why don't we have Rod Stewart? And I would tell him because he plays Madison Square Guard, you know, but they didn't ever want me to tell him that, you know. I mean, this is before we were partners, you know, they, we, it was bought by the garden, but at the end he walked out. He put his arm around me and he said, "You know, I want it. you're doing a great job. Thank you." And then two gentlemen who were mainly analysts came up to me and said, "What did he say? What did he say?" And I said, "He said I'm doing a good job." But that that's the paranoia of corporate life, which I really tried not to get caught up in. You do, but uh when you're on the once you've gone through, you know, Radio City, especially the garden, which is very corporate, and then you get on the outside again, you, you really find out that a lot of it not necessary but everybody runs yeah. their business
1: differently yeah. fantastic fantastic well eddie you've been a great guest and thanks so much and uh stay safe and healthy down there you too
0: thank you very much and the uh, best of family
1: Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.